You're listening to a rebroadcast of a live walk talk from Instagram. Good morning, good morning, Texas, Hartford, Omaha, Nepal. Very cool. Awesome, guys. So I'm in Farmington, Missouri. I'm about an hour south of St. Louis. Yes, part two. Here we go. Um, Farmington is a wonderful place to live. It is a little country town. And um, uh, just a little background on myself. I'm a business owner. Um, I've owned the same company for over 20 years. It's called Alarm Security. I'm married. Yes. Sorry, ladies. (laughs) Um, I have a 19-year-old daughter named Grace. Um, And I do this ministry stuff because I really enjoy it. All right. So if you want to know more about me, go to my website. Go to the tab that says Matt McMillan's background. And there's more information there. All right. So before I get into today's message, 10 facts about the blood of Jesus, part two, Um, my introduction, let's go ahead and get that in just in case you are new to my ministry. Again, my name is Matt McMillan. I'm a Christian author. If you was to ask me, what would you like me to pay attention to you? What would you like me to pay attention to? If I was new to your ministry, I would say my books. My books are a labor of love. I've been writing for years. I have seven books. They're all available on Amazon and paperback and Kindle. I started a audio video part of my ministry a few years ago, and they're called Walk Talks with Matt McMillan. You are joining me live for the latest episode being recorded. I record them on Instagram, and then I refurbish them to my podcast, which is Walk Talks with Matt McMillan. It's available on every major podcast platform, and I also put them on YouTube. So if you want to go back and binge listen, binge watch, they are there for the watching and listening. Now, maybe a topic has come to your mind as you've been listening to me. You're like, what about this? What about that? I think I can help you out. I've probably talked about it. And you can go to my website, go to the topics page, type in whatever Bible verse, whatever issue you're having with whatever that you're going through, type it in. I think I can help you refocus on who Jesus is and who you are together. While you're on my website, be sure to sign up for the free daily devotional. Go over to the free newsletter tab, put in your name and email address, and I'll send you a daily devotional early every morning. All right, now, um, if you wanna contact me, please don't message me on social media. I don't keep up with those. To get a hold of me, go to my website, go over to the contact page, and when you're on the contact page, send me your message. I'll be glad to interact with you there. I sit down every day or two and I read my emails or you can email me directly. It is matt, that's M-A-T-T, at mattmcmillan.com. Okay, so let's get to today's we'll talk. 10 facts about the blood of Jesus, part two. Now, real quickly, it's windy here. I really hate it when it's windy. So I have a little hand towel at the bottom of the phone here. So I try to keep it nice and tight so you can't hear the wind. I apologize if it does pick up. Um, If uh, the wind picks up, I do apologize. So I'm doing the best I can to keep the wind out of here. I mean, I'm walking here. I'm talking here. There's wind blowing here. So... um, Uh, I have gotten microphones in the past where I've tried them out on the bottom with the little fuzzy thing. Those don't work very well with with real heavy wind. So this works out best. Um, So I hope that it's enjoyable to you guys. You can hear it. 
Okay, 10 facts about the blood of Jesus part two. Now this is a uh, second walk talk on one topic. So if you wanna know about the first five facts about the blood of Jesus, watch part one. Thank you so much. Watch part one and I go over them. I'm not gonna cover them today. Now just real quickly, there's there's a lot more than 10 facts. <laughs> the blood of Jesus, there's zillions, infinite numbers of facts. So these are just 10 that I picked out that mean something to me. The blood of Jesus might mean something to you differently, but I know for a fact that these are facts. Okay. So be sure to go back, watch part one, listen to part one and watch, listen to this one. I think it will really help you out. The reason why I want to do 10 facts on the blood of Jesus is when you understand the power and magnitude of his blood, there's going to be so many errors that are just clear to you. The, the, this easy walk in Christ gets a lot easier when you understand what his blood has accomplished. It, you know, I get so many questions about stuff as I talk about the new covenant and our freedom and our modern church does not focus on the blood of Jesus. That's probably our number one problem. The blood of Jesus is of no value. It's just kind of meh. Oh yeah, the blood, blah, 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 blah. They want to talk about other stuff. They want to talk about the end of time. That's all boring. Let's talk about the end of time. Or they want to talk about demons. Cast out demons. You got to come back. Get them demons that's been attached to you. Come on back next week. Oh, blood of Jesus is of no value. But if you knew about the blood of Jesus, you wouldn't be scared at the end of time. If you knew about the blood of Jesus, you you would have no issue with a demon as far as in your mind because you know the reality and there are other things that can just be so diluted in our mind if our churches would refocus on the blood of Jesus not just the blood but the resurrection as well okay but this is about the blood because the blood accomplished a lot so go back and listen to part one, watch part one, it's gonna help you out. Now, um, before I begin, I wanna sing you a song. Okay, here we go. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Wash me white as snow. Now, don't be jealous, okay? Jealousy is a sin. Just because you hear such beautiful music coming from a person doesn't mean you should be jealous, okay? God just blessed me with this beautiful voice. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know what you want me to say. Uh, I'm kidding. Of course, I know that was terrible. <laughs> My dad is very musically inclined. My sister is very musically inclined. And I didn't get that gift. <laughs> So I think that I can sing because I like my voice, but <laughs> I've been told that I, I don't really have that gift. My gifts lie elsewhere. <laughs> but that song, we have sung that hymn in church millions of times all throughout this world. And it, it says some stuff about the blood of Jesus, which is true. But then we say something completely opposite after singing that in the sermon. The blood of Jesus is of no value. We just talked about the blood of Jesus washing you white as snow. 
But then we say, you're a dirty, rotten sinner. We say a lot of bad things about Christians, about people who've trusted in Christ. We, we overlook what his blood accomplished, even after singing something very nice and true about his blood. And there are other songs where there's lots of error in the lyrics. And a, a lot of this stuff, such as calling God down, or God's chasing after you, or anything that gives you the connotation that you're doing something to get God to come here, to remain here, or you're, you need to change your behavior to get him to stay and remain here, here, in you. Why? Because that overlooks the blood. <laughs> so we're going to talk about five more facts today. Now, here are the five facts. I'm going to tell you what the five, the next five facts is six through 10. Tell you what the bullet points are. I'm going to talk a little bit about something that happened with a couple brothers in scripture. And then we're going to dive deep into these five. Okay, so here are the five. Number six, the blood of Jesus cleanses your conscience of sin. The blood of Jesus cleanses your conscience of sin. We're going to talk about that. Okay, number seven, the blood of Jesus saves you from the wrath of God. Number seven, the blood of Jesus saves you from the wrath of God. Number eight, the blood of Jesus has purchased you. Number eight, the blood of Jesus has purchased you. Number nine, the blood of Jesus has given you power over Satan. Number nine, the blood of Jesus has given you power over Satan. We're going to look at scripture for all this stuff today. <laughs> How about that? How about we get rid of all the exclamation points and the all caps in the comments, dilute all the man-made tradition, and just go to the Bible and <laughs> find this stuff based on what Christ accomplished, read it in context, it's so simple. You know, when I talk about this stuff and people have been taught differently, they attack, they get angry and all of their attacks and anger, they have no scripture to back this up. <laughs> and I'm just like, geez, pump your brakes, man. <laughs> Calm down. But you know, I get it. I've been there because when you go to a place and you hear something opposite of what the actual blood accomplished, it can upset you because that's daddy. Daddy taught me this. Granddad taught him that. We go to a Bible-believing church. What church you go to? Oh, what Bible? Oh, that's why. My Bible says this. I got my Bible. Got my word. Ugh. So much stuff that is just regurgitation of man-made church jargon. <laughs> but if we just peel that layer back... Read scripture based on what Christ accomplished. All of this stuff that you're being aggressive about is, is not necessary. Okay? And I, I think I wanted to pause and talk about that when I said number nine. Because I've been talking about Satan and his demons lately. <laughs> I guess Halloween kicked it off. I don't know. But I'm so sick and tired of them getting more attention than what Jesus gets. <laughs> so I talked about it this year. I did a walk talk on it this year. I did many videos on it this year. But normally I don't. If you search my ministry stuff, well, I don't talk about this, them. They get no attention from me. Why? Because I'm going to talk about the blood. I'm going to talk about the resurrection. I'm going to talk about who you are. That stuff is a distraction. <laughs> all right. All right. And then number 10. This is the 10th one. Again, I'm going to go over all these. The blood of Jesus has made you perfect and complete. All right. 
So before I get into numbers six, seven, eight, nine, and 10, I want to point out something that happened in Genesis 4 between a brother and another brother named Cain and Abel. And then it was talked about in Hebrews 11 as an example. <laughs> so we see these brothers, Cain and Abel. Now, Cain offered a sacrifice to God. Abel offered a sacrifice to God. God only accepted one of those sacrifices. <laughs> now, bear with me while I cross this highway right here. I do have traffic coming, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pause during this commercial break. And we're back! <laughs> Alright, so... Cain and Abel both offered a sacrifice to God. Now, when Cain offered his sacrifice to God, God did not accept it. When Abel offered his sacrifice to God, God accepted it. What was the difference in their sacrifice? Cain offered a sacrifice of his efforts, his work. I did all this stuff. I produced this for you. Here you go, God. God was like, nope, don't want it. Abel offered blood. Now, you got to go back to part one to find out why blood, because I'm not going to cover that today. But blood is what God requires. Because blood represents life. Life had been lost in the garden. God is a just God. Any sin is unbelief. Therefore, sin has to be dealt with with blood. Okay. Now, when he offered animal blood sacrifice, it was also offered by faith. So when he offered this sacrifice, it was pleasing to God. This is why Hebrews chapter 11 says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Hebrews chapter 11 lists a full gamut of every one of these Old Testament patriarchs, matriarchs. We even got a prostitute in there from the Gentile group. And you'll notice all of these people were obedient now, those who struggle with legalism, they would be struggling with what Cain struggled with. They're focused on their effort and their work. But it wasn't what they did which made them obedient. It wasn't what they did which made them righteous. It was the obedience of faith. If you look at this list, we got people who have committed adultery. We've got people who struggle with prostitution. We got people who killed tens of thousands of people. We got somebody who committed suicide. <laughs> so it's not what they did. It was what they believed. They trusted God. So when Abel trusted God, he offered up the blood. God accepted that sacrifice. It was that sacrifice of blood by faith, which caused him to be right with God. Now, what happened to Cain and Abel? <laughs> you probably know Cain killed Abel. <laughs> oh, how dare God accept your sacrifice? I did all this stuff. How dare you? The same thing's going to happen to you today. You're going to be killed metaphorically or, you know, depending on where you're at in the world. When you focus on the blood of Jesus rather than effort, 
you will be persecuted like crazy. <laughs> you will get comments flooding all of your social media posts. You'll have people make YouTube videos of you. You'll have people write articles on you. You'll have all this stuff be done if you're doing it enough. <laughs> you should consider yourself fortunate because by faith they were righteous because they believed God even before the blood of Jesus was shed. Here we have the blood of Jesus. We know what happened and we're trusting him. So the righteous have always lived by faith. Faith in the blood of Jesus is what has caused you to become righteous. Before the cross, it was put on the books. We see in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 25, those sins have been left unpunished. Christ came, forgave their sins, forgave our sins. This is not universalism. You have to trust in him once in your lifetime by grace to receive this forgiveness. Okay, so... <laughs> The offer of blood to God through his son is the shadow or is the reality of the shadow of Cain and Abel's work offering and blood offering. When you compare what the Hebrew people were doing at the temple through what Jesus did at the real temple in heaven. Okay, blood matters to God. And we're, you're, you're going to get a good grasp of this <laughs> today. And if you, if you watch my past walk talk, if you read my stuff, listen to my, my podcast, my focus is what Christ accomplished. This also takes all the pressure off of me. <laughs> I don't have to use myself as my best example. I can say and do dumb stuff and know that I'm not dumb. <laughs> I'm just saying and doing dumb stuff. You know, and the Holy Spirit is maturing me out of that stuff. I don't have to be, a, oh, great godly man. You're a great man of God. When people call me that, I'm just like, what? I'm just as much of a man of God as you are. <laughs> but they see what you do. You got a social media ministry. You've written books. You've blah, 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 blah. And <laughs> this is a labor of love. I am working from a state of rest, which produces the most authentic fruit from the Holy Spirit. I am bearing it. Okay. I'm a branch. Branches can do nothing on their own. The Holy Spirit within me of Jesus Christ is the vine. He is the one who you know, I'm not, not a hollow tube. I'm not some puppet. It's me and him working together. I know. You don't hear this. <laughs> you got to do your part. You got to put God first. All that stuff. It's just not necessary. Okay? But I also want to talk about one other thing before I get into these five. Resting from your work is difficult to grasp because you got faith without works is dead from the book of James and people twist that. But if you go to that, you will see that it is one thing that they did. <laughs> Abraham put his son on the altar. Rahab put the spies up on the roof. <laughs> did he say anything about anything else that they did? No. And they wouldn't have done those things unless they had trusted God. Also, this was written before the Council of Jerusalem, which we see in the book of Acts. James is still pushing in the law with the gospel. So the book of James, he might not have understood gracefully. If you think all these apostles knew everything about everything instantaneously, you would be in error. The apostles didn't even leave Jerusalem until they were forced to when Rome invaded. 
Paul had to go out to the Gentiles. <laughs> so we got to think about those things when we read the Bible. We have to understand these are human beings just like me and you. Fallible. The same spirit is teaching them that teaches us. You know, um, uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 10 and 11 says, When you rest from your work, you're doing the same thing when God rested from his work. And he says, strive to enter rest. And he's saying this to the most hardworking people on the planet, the Hebrew people. They thought that they were attaining righteousness through all of the stuff they were doing at the temple, through all of this knowledge at the synagogue. We do the same thing today. I've got to go to church so I can give, so I can do, so I can learn. Even hearing that, that could sear, that could poke at your seared conscience. <laughs> Matt's telling people don't go to church. I don't tell people don't go to church. I tell you you're free. <laughs> but these free thoughts, just like in the book of Hebrews, when whoever wrote this letter, whether it was Paul or Priscilla or whoever, it's not signed. He was saying this temple is of no value. The synagogue is of no value. I'm not even saying that our church buildings are, are of no value. I'm saying, what's the message at the church? If you are getting a message which is not focused on Jesus, you probably shouldn't go because it's not going to be healthy for you. But you're still free to go. And there's nothing in the Bible which commands you to go. Nothing. Hebrews 10.25 is not about going to church. The first church wasn't even erected until 150 years later. All of these errors can be diluted with your conscience being renewed through what Jesus actually accomplished accomplished at the cross. Okay, so let's get to it. So let's get to number six. So, oh, also I want to talk about one other thing before I get into these six. So many people in the unbelieving community would say, why would God kill animals? If he's such a good God, why would he want to kill animals? God really didn't want to kill animals. He loves animals. We see in the Old Testament and the New Testament, sacrifice he has not desired. But atonement had to be made for unbelief. God loves animals. God doesn't want to kill animals. He loves these creatures. They were his idea. That's why Jesus came along. So all that's put aside. <laughs> A body prepared one offering, his son, which would propitiate, not atone, propitiate. He is the propitiation, First John 2, 2, which means satisfying sacrifice. So those animals, he didn't want that. He wanted propitiation. It's finished. Okay. So, you know, the Hebrew people were even, after they would sacrifice the animals, they would burn the carcasses thinking that burnt offerings was a pleasing aroma to God, and they were not. He did not want the animals to be killed. He did not want the animals to be burnt. He loves them, just like he loves you. <laughs> but unbelief had to be dealt with. That's why Christ had to come, okay? Now let's get to number six, the sixth fact about the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus cleanses your conscience of sin. Now, what is your conscience? You know, you got Jiminy Cricket from, uh, what is it? Who's the, the wooden boy? <laughs> Pinocchio. Uh, always let your conscience be your guide. Well, uh, also, 
you shouldn't always let your conscience be your guide, okay? <laughs> and here's why. Your conscience can be trained by error. Always let your conscience be your guide. Well, what if my conscience has been trained by extreme legalism? What if my conscience has been trained by a very abusive religious relative? What if my conscience has been trained by something that opposes everything Christ accomplished? What if my conscience has been trained by addiction? What if my conscience has been trained by this music that I keep hearing, which glorifies things that have <laughs> no business being glorified? Your conscience can be trained by error. That is why it is so important to continue to hear, continue to hear, continue to hear. Hear what? The message about Jesus. Because the more you hear the message about Jesus, the more your conscience will be cleansed. We see in Hebrews chapter 9 that the Hebrew people were continually cleansing their conscience annually at the temple by way of animal blood. So here's how it worked. I'm a Hebrew person, a Jew. My relatives agreed to obey everything in the book of the law. 613 commandments in the wilderness after Moses had presented the commandments and then they were complete. Deuteronomy 4.2, do not add to, do not take away from. So these 613 commandments, if I obey these commandments, God will bless me with great health and wealth. This is why the health wealth preachers go back into the old covenant and pull stuff out. Because <laughs> it was a trade-off system back then. It's not a trade-off system over here. So if I obey these commandments and I do not break these commandments in the book of the law and I keep God's commandment, he will bless me. But when I break these commandments, I have to receive forgiveness. So if I'm a Hebrew person, do I stop and repent? No, they did not receive forgiveness by stopping a sin. Do I stop? Do I confess? No, they did not receive forgiveness by confessing sins. They only receive forgiveness once a year at the Day of Atonement. Hebrews 9.22 says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Hebrews chapter 9 is talking about their conscience being cleansed. So they would break one of the 613, including the Ten Commandments. All they would do is go to the temple, hand off their bull, their goat, their calf. The Levitical priest would inspect the animal, <laughs> not them. You know, so often today in our modern church, you get inspected. I'm triggered right now. You can probably tell with my voice inflection. <laughs> you get inspected. Even before the cross, they didn't get inspected. The, the animal did. So we aren't inspecting people according to what Christ accomplished. We're inspecting them according to what they have started or stopped. But even back then, <laughs> they presented their animal. The Levitical priest would inspect the animal. The animal would be killed. It would, their blood would be put on the altar and it would atone for those sins. Atone means to cover. At that time, they would receive forgiveness. <sighs> Conscience cleansed. I'm forgiven. They would walk down the temple stairs, off, continue their life, and then they would start adding up more transgressions of the law. Sinning, sinning, sinning. Couldn't do nothing about their sin until the next day of atonement. This is why the unbelieving Hebrew people today want the next temple to be built because they're in a state of limbo. They have no way to receive forgiveness because they're not going to believe in what Jesus did. 
they need their conscience cleansed. <laughs> but we got Hebrews chapter 9, their conscience is being cleansed annually at the temple by way of animal blood. So here's what they're focused on. They're sinning. They're sins. Not on what Christ did with their sins. <laughs> There's no sacrifice remaining there for the forgiveness of sins. The next chapter tells us. But we want to use Hebrews 10, 26 to tell people, if you deliberately sin, those don't count. Bull freaking crap. Every sin counts. Deliberate and undeliberate. <laughs> You're not a robot. Now, here's why it says deliberate sins. <laughs> because they could not remember all 613. Unless you were a scribe or a Pharisee or a Levite, you're not going to remember all 613. So if you'd sin deliberately, you got to go get your forgiveness at the temple. But here's the thing. Most people overlook this. Numbers 15, 27 says non-deliberate sins require blood as well. I'm going to repeat that. According to the law, <laughs> deliberate sins require blood. Hebrews 10, 26, Hebrews 9, 22. Non-deliberate sins require blood as well. Numbers 15, 27. You know, somebody commented on one of my posts yesterday. They said, oh no, if it's that bad of a sin, then it doesn't count. <laughs> what? Only the deliberate sins. If, if you're willing, and if you're willing that sin, then you have to get forgiveness. What? You can't go to heaven. You're just telling me if you kill somebody? And then we go to the killing. But Paul says in Romans chapter 1, he lists gossip to murder. The full gamut. Anything that's not a faith is sin. So this person has never heard how big sin is. And they've never heard how much bigger the blood of Jesus is. They're just told that if you sin too big or that's too, that's not that bad. You're fine. God will just let that scoot in. No, 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 no death Romans 6 23 the wages of sin is death you don't get to cherry pick you don't get to gauge them God does not grade you on a curve he is looking at perfection what is the perfection that you are going off of are you going off of your a minus no has to be off the charts has to be off the charts If you go on to the next chapter, you will see the blood of Jesus is presented once and for all time. If you will trust in this blood, if you go back to chapter 9, you are trusting in the eternal spirit of Jesus rather than the... I don't know why I'm triggered about this. Ugh, calm down. Whew. If you go back to chapter 9... <laughs> you will see that they are trusting in the eternal spirit of Jesus to have their conscience cleansed for those who have believed. They have drank in the rain. Hebrews chapter 6 says, the unbelieving Hebrew people would not drink in the rain. They wanted to continue to go back to the temple to receive forgiveness annually by way of animal blood. But if they would trust that what Jesus did with his blood, they would have their conscience cleansed of sin. I, I can vouch for this. <laughs> the more I tried to do something about my sinning, the more I focused on my sin. 
The more I focused on what Jesus has done with my sin, the less I focused on my sin. And guess what? I sin less. <laughs> it's an amazing paradox. And this is grace. That's why in Hebrews chapter 2, the author says, By the grace of God, Jesus tasted death. By the grace of God. Why? Because death is required for all of your unbelief. I'm not talking about your actions and attitudes. Those are just expressions of your unbelief. By the grace of God, Jesus tasted death. You're forgiven. Your conscience. The more you understand this, the more your conscience is cleansed. Jesus offered his blood up once in the real temple in heaven. Hebrews chapter 9 tells us, not this man-made shadow on earth. <laughs> this is a shadow. Christ is the reality. I'm right here. I'm walking. I can see my shadow right there. Is there any substance in that shadow? No. I am the reality. Christ is the reality. His blood is the reality. This repeated annual forgiveness through animal blood or you today attempting to do something about your sin is a shadow of what Christ can do with your sins once and for all time. If you will trust. You have to deal with your forgiveness. You don't have to deal with your sins with God. Now, you, if you're sinning and it's causing some division or some turmoil or some pain in your life with, with people around you in your mind, it is a good thing to turn from that stuff. But in, because it's good to turn from it, but it's not, you're not doing that to receive more forgiveness. I'm cleansing your conscience right now of sin. You will have to deal with your forgiveness when you sin, not the actual sin with God. Why? Jesus! Oh, you're just, I'm saying it all. I'm saying it all. The blood of Jesus superabounds. Romans 5.20, where sin abound, grace abounded. Jesus is grace in truth. You got to deal with it. Sound's going to change. I'm walking through this little covered bridge here. <laughs> uh, and some people will say, you got to wash yourself in the blood of Jesus. I was watching TikTok the other day. There's this ministry on, on TikTok and on Instagram, and they're just uber focused with demons. Like, that's all they talk about is demons. A demon will attach themselves to you. Stop. And I'm going to get to that today. They, they, they wanted to pepper in some Jesus <laughs> with their ministry. That way people know we're, we're Christian because we talk about Jesus every once in a while. And they made a TikTok or a reel or whatever it was. And the whole thing was, you just got to wash yourself in the blood of Jesus. Keep washing your sin. You got to wash yourself in the blood of Jesus. What does that mean? You don't wash yourself in the blood of Jesus. <laughs> that would be gross. And symbolically, that also makes no sense. Because even the Hebrew people, they didn't wash themselves in the blood of animals. <laughs> they gave the animal blood. To the Levitical priest, they receive forgiveness. So you're not washing yourself in the blood. You're not cleansing yourself in the blood. You have been washed. <laughs> you have been cleansed. Past tense. Now, I want to give them credit. Because <laughs> I don't want to be uber critical about stuff. But I keep up with stuff that I disagree with. I don't comment. <laughs> but I want to keep a pulse on what's happening out there. Um... I'm glad they talked about the blood of Jesus, but I think they can mature past this using the blood of Jesus for something. Some people, <laughs> you're not using it. 
you're not you're not washed in it you're not cleansing yourself in it sorry i just turned around you're gonna hear this again <laughs> this little echo in this covered bridge um you're not pleading the blood so many people are like oh you just gotta you just gotta plead the blood i plead the blood i plead the blood even i used to talk like that <laughs> and then i realized i'm not pleading the blood that's what they were doing in Hebrews chapter 9. Pleading, making an emotional appeal, making an argument for the blood of animals. They were saying, here's my animal, God. Forgive me. That's why Jesus said, leave your sacrifice there. Go get right with your brother. Actually, he said your brother needs to get right with you. <laughs> because they were overlooking what God truly wanted. Mercy. Loving others as God has loved you. They were like, I could just, I could just, just be, act like a complete jerk to everybody. And then all I got to do is go to the temple, hand off my animal. I'm good to go to the next year. No, leave it. Go get right. That was how they pleaded the blood. So we are not making an appeal repeatedly to receive more forgiveness through the blood of Jesus. Therefore, you're not pleading his blood. I get it. It's religious church jargon. You hear it a zillion times growing up. I just plead the blood. But you're not. <laughs> the blood has already been pled. <laughs> oh, get off of it, Matt. I, I know I'm critical sometimes. <laughs> I apologize. You know, struggling with perfectionism, which I do, it's a double-edged sword. You can really fine-tune stuff you can get the edges <laughs> the rough parts off of stuff but sometimes i take it too far and i'm sorry <laughs> i don't know what you want from me forgive me <laughs> i plead the blood over it <laughs> it's just the euphemisms that overlook or whatever that word is that overlook the fact that jesus's blood was presented once Okay. And it was a huge success. <laughs> All right, let's go on to number seven. The seventh fact about the blood of Jesus. What is number seven? Let me think about this. Oh, number seven. The seventh fact about the blood of Jesus. Bear with me. The blood of Jesus... Hey, I'm going to check my notes. Hang on. All right, I'm back. Hopefully you guys stuck around. <laughs> okay, number seven. I had these memorized. <laughs> Sorry. Um, number seven, the blood of Jesus saves you from the wrath of God. All right. Now, the wrath of God is a scary thing when <laughs> you're not talking about, when, when you're not taught about the blood of Jesus. So the wrath of God there's two wrath. Let's just, let's, let's step over here to the side for just a moment. There's two wraths in the Bible. R-A-T-W-R-A-T-H. Wrath. If you can't understand what I'm saying with my country fried accent. There's two wraths of God in the Bible. You've got the wrath over the sin of the world. And you've also got the coming wrath. So when we go to the Bible and we search for wrath of God, you can read about both wraths. But Here's what the, just real, before I get to the wrath over the sin of the world, here's what the coming wrath is. Because many people who do not focus on the blood of Jesus 
they will say, you're going to have to deal with the wrath of God that is coming. Oh, the wrath of God is coming on this planet because it's so sick. Stop. Stop. Okay. <laughs> Just stop. Doesn't work. <laughs> the coming wrath is for this planet. So imagine this for a second. You have a child that you love and that child is in a bad neighborhood. Child's in a bad neighborhood. You want a better neighborhood for that child, right? Yes. So you don't want to destroy the child and the neighborhood. You don't, you don't, you don't want, you want to take that child up out of that neighborhood and put them in a better neighborhood, right? Well, that's going to happen with the coming wrath. The coming wrath is for this planet. So I am a child of God. I fully indwell the Holy Spirit. I am sealed up with his spirit. I am seated in heaven right now. So are you all the stuff I'm saying about myself. It's the same for you because you've trusted in Jesus. You have God's divine nature. You have been adopted into his family. There's, there's nothing that's going to happen to you in the coming wrath. The coming wrath, this planet, is the deal. Is, is going to get the boot. <laughs> it's going to be good. Hebrews chapter 9 says, Jesus return, will return without reference to sin for those who are eagerly awaiting him. That's me. <laughs> That's you. He's not going to remember something that he's already propitiated through his blood. So if you're afraid of God coming back and the coming wrath, then you are not being taught enough about what his blood has done with your sins. His blood has saved you from the coming wrath. Romans 5, 9, you are saved from the wrath of God. Why? Because of the blood of Jesus. Romans 5, 1 says you have peace with God because of Jesus. So if you have peace with God and you're saved from his wrath because of the blood of Jesus, then when he comes back, it's going to be a good thing. So when he comes back, it's going to be the final judgment. He's going to separate sheep from goat, believer from unbeliever. This world is going to be destroyed. All sin, sinners, Satan, demons, sarks, poof, they're, they're burnt up. <laughs> we get a new place to live. <laughs> it's going to be great. The coming wrath is good. <laughs> but then you also got the wrath over the sin of the world. The wrath over the sin of the world was taken care of at the cross. Now God deals with you based on goodness. Romans 2, 4. It is the goodness of God which will lead you to repent. And many people say it is the goodness of God will lead you to turn your... No, this is about changing your belief system. Sinning is unbelief. It is the goodness of God which will, sit, which will change you from sinful unbelief to righteousness. The same offer that Abel made. The same righteousness that all of those people have in Hebrews chapter 11. Has nothing to do with them turning from a sin. And when you hear this, oh, he's telling people not to turn from sin. No, I'm not. <laughs> turn from your sin. That's good. It's healthy. It's normal. Sinning is not for you. You're righteous. But you are not turning from a sin to receive God's goodness. You already received it. You are not turning from a sin to receive righteousness. That is what you are. But the religious system, the religious mindset, the Cain-based mentality cannot fathom this. Good news. 
And that's mostly what's preached in our pulpits. The offering of blood is of no value. The offering of work, sin management, repentance repeatedly for repented for repeated forgiveness. Certain denominations even say you have to verbalize your sins in order to receive forgiveness. They say, confess your sins repeatedly so you can be forgiven. 1 John 1, 9 isn't about a repeated confession for repeated forgiveness. <laughs> this was written by John. He went to the Day of Atonement for forgiveness. You think he would go to the Day of Atonement for forgiveness? Receive his forgiveness once a year to, oh, Jesus died, now we got to say something to receive repeated forgiveness. Stop it. That is demonic. What if you don't have a voice box? What if you get your tongue cut out? How are you remembering all of your sins? Remember, just one sin would keep you out of heaven. This is another word to, for agree with. Read 1 John 1, 8. They said they have no sin. We don't say that. We say we're forgiven. These are sin deniers. These are the Gnostics. These are the people who said Jesus did not come in the flesh. Read the whole letter. Test the spirits, John says. How do you test the spirit? Oh, I got a spirit of discernment. I can test the spirits. Now, I'm not talking about your judgmental attitude. According to the Bible, testing the spirit is this. Do they say Jesus came in the flesh? Yeah. You test the spirit, they're good to go. So if you think you have some type of spirit of discernment and you can test the spirits, the only way you could possibly do that is if somebody says Jesus came in the flesh. Okay, they are of us. All of this religious mumbo jumbo. <laughs> How do you test the spirits? John tells them. The Gnostic said, number one, sin is not a real thing. That's why 1 John 1, 8 says, if we have no sin. <laughs> you got some. You, you got to get Jesus to deal with them. And if you will confess, if you will agree with. You know, the Greek word there for confess is to agree with. <laughs> you know, we have translated as confess but if we say yeah jesus came in the flesh i've got sin i agree he can do something with them he will propitiate first john 2 2 the very next chapter <laughs> you know some people also say i don't sin anymore what sin buddy you sin <laughs> you don't need to say you don't need to sin you don't sin you just need to say i'm forgiven and i'm maturing I made a mistake. First John 2 says, if anyone does sin, <laughs> if you confess, you're agreeing with, he will forgive you and cleanse you of all. All means all. 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 It is not a repeated confession for a repeated forgiveness that is an enemy of the cross. John <laughs> would be like, what are you talking about? He already had his conscience cleansed. All right, let's go on to, let's see, six, seven, let's go on to number eight. So, number eight. What's number eight? Sorry, I'm getting carried away on each one. <laughs> number eight, okay. The blood of Jesus has purchased you. So, the blood of Jesus has also purchased you. It hasn't just provided you with forgiveness. So, we see in Matthew 26, 28, Ephesians 1, 7, that the blood of Jesus has forgiven you. This is the blood of the covenant in my name for the forgiveness of sins. As he quoted what uh, 
Moses said in the book of Exodus <laughs> about a covenant between God and them. So the new covenant gave you forgiveness. The new covenant began at the cross. The new covenants forgave you. You have been redeemed. Your, your sins are forgiven, but not just that, you are also redeemed. What does redeemed mean? If you got, you know, when I was growing up, we had Chuck E. Cheese, so we would, we would uh, play the games, play skee-ball, we'd have all those tickets come out, and we would go up to the prize desk, <laughs> and we would use those tickets to redeem a prize. It means purchase. So his blood has purchased you as well. The blood of Jesus has purchased you. You have been bought. Matter of fact, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says, you have been bought. You were bought with a price. You are not your own. You have been bought, purchased, redeemed. So if God has bought you, if God has purchased you, <laughs> who's going to take you away from him? Nobody. Nobody. <laughs> not even you. <laughs> Are you just saying I could just sin? Blah, 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 blah. Uh, yes, you can. <laughs> Still bought. It's not going to set right with you. Try it out. You'll see it's not for you. You'll learn, you'll grow, you'll mature. Or you'll struggle with something that's not of faith. You'll struggle with something that's not for you. You're bought. Purchased. Redeemed. <laughs> You know, I want to talk about that today because if you knew that God has literally bought you, how much more confident could you possibly be? <laughs> the creator of the universe bought you. How? Through the blood of Jesus. <laughs> you have been bought, purchased. Righteous. So if you have been bought, nobody can, nobody, you can't sell your soul. You can't make a deal with the devil. Who, I, what? This error of telling people that they could somehow sell their soul to the devil, even after becoming a Christian. Stop it. You've been bought. You can be lied to about that and you can believe that error and then your conscience can struggle with that error. Or you can just stand on what scripture actually says about what the blood of Jesus has done. Redeemed you. Purchased you. All right, let's go on to number nine. The ninth fact about the blood of Jesus. And there are infinite facts. <laughs> but these are just ten. Number nine. We're getting close to number ten. All right. The blood of Jesus has given you power over the devil. I'm going to try to talk about this one without being triggered. <laughs> but it triggers me. And the reason why is there's a holdout in the body of, of Christ. <laughs> you know, I just mentioned this earlier. There's certain tribes who they give the devil so much attention and they give the devil so much power. But according to Revelation 12, 11, the blood of Jesus has overcome the devil. The blood of the lamb. So we ignore Revelation 12, 11, which 
clearly says that the blood of Jesus has overcome the enemy. We overlook that. We overlook Colossians 2.15, which says Christ disarmed the spiritual realm at the cross, the demonic realm at the cross. So they're disarmed, Colossians 2.15. They're overcome. Some translations say triumph, conquered, defeated, Revelation 12.11. He has been defeated by the blood of the lamb and your testimony. What's your testimony? Jesus. <laughs> We overlook 1 John 3, which says the reason why Jesus came to earth was to destroy the work of the devil. We overlook that. We overlook 1 John 5. Now listen to this. 1 John 5 says the evil one cannot even touch you. Scripture, the evil one can't even touch you, but we want to tell people that demons can attach themselves to you. Be careful what you listen to. Be careful where you go because the demon will attach themselves to you. According to Scripture, they can't do that. They could be around you. They could slam doors, knock stuff off the counter, run up and down the stairs, attempt to scare you. But they can't touch you. They can't attack you. And that's called oppression, where they can be around you. But we confuse oppression with possession. Christians cannot be possessed. Why? The blood of the Lamb. <laughs> Revelation 12, 11. Colossians 2, 15. Oh, but they could be oppressed. Who gives a crap? Who cares about oppression? Stop going places you shouldn't be going. Stop listening to stuff you shouldn't be listening to. Okay, and? They, you're just giving them attention? It doesn't mean you're... It doesn't mean you're going to be possessed. It doesn't mean you're going to be touched. <laughs> you know, if you... <laughs> I'm going to say it anyway. If you enjoy going to like haunted houses or places like that, you're obsessed with the paranormal, you're going to have to deal with what happens in your life. But they still can't touch you. <laughs> Why? The blood of Jesus. When you go to the Bible and you search the Bible, not one time on this side of the cross does a believer ever have a problem with a demon. Not once. Not one time is there ever a believer cast, or is there ever a demon cast out of a believer on this side of the cross. Why? The cross. The blood. The blood overcame them, disarmed them, but we overlook that. And we teach demonic doctrine. That is the demonic doctrine. In context, the demonic doctrine is what was being taught at the synagogue because they said Jesus is not the Messiah and what was being taught at the temple of Artemis. What's the temple of Artemis? A Greek goddess and a temple. But we want to say demonic doctrine is you can have a, or you can't have a demon. Stop it. And then we hoot and holler and go crazy and gaslight and call people out in the congregation overlooking everything that the blood of Jesus accomplished. The blood of Jesus has given you complete power over Satan. They have are, are no issue for us at all. And some people say, oh, what do you have to say about me having a demon cast out of me? I felt it. I, I knew it. Well, I've got this to say. According to the Bible, that is not a possibility. So, 
when you get into a group and you see hundreds of people or tens of people around you doing something, you can feel stuff. It <laughs> doesn't mean it's true according to the Bible. This is why we have canonized scripture. So we can say, okay, the evil one can't touch you. The evil one has been overcome by the blood of the lamb. The cross disarmed the spiritual realm. Christ disarmed everything that has to do with Satan, demons, anything like that. Are they real? Yeah, but they're defeated. The only thing they could possibly do to you, according to the Bible and Revelation, is accuse you. So if it is a demon and they are accusing you, what would they accuse you of? You're not forgiven? Look what you did. You did it again. Oh, you call yourself some Christian? You're not righteous. There's not one righteous. Look at you. And then all of these accusations. Oh, I'm in you. You got to get me cast out. Oh, you're not going to get me out of this one. Eh. See it? <laughs> yes, I do funny impersonations. I'm sorry. <laughs> I think they're funny. Jennifer and Grace, <laughs> they say I crack myself up all the time. What do you want from me? I'm funny to me. <laughs> uh, but that's all they could do. Is accuse it's funny to me when I talk about demons. It's funny. Because I know what the blood of Jesus accomplished. They're disarmed. They're defeated. They're, <laughs> they're like, you know, just in the words of, uh, what's Andrew Farley say? They're like a whiny trial lawyer. <laughs> the trial's over. Go home. But, 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 judge, but, judge. Christ paid the penalty for everything that the demonic realm would have any power over you over. Sin is dealt with. Okay? It's good stuff, guys. All right, and number 10. <laughs> the 10th fact doo -doo -doo, about the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus has made you perfect and complete. Oh, nobody's perfect. What do you, what do you say? I sin every day. And here we go. <laughs> right back to Cain's theology. But I do this, Lord. Why don't you accept this? <laughs> Kill Abel. <laughs> I'm not talking about what you do. I'm talking about who you are. You are perfect. There has to be a great divorce that happens in your mind. Separate your who from your do. <laughs> okay? Who are you? From that do. <laughs> All throughout the book of Hebrews, we see the, the Hebrew people attempting to perfect themselves. How? Through the priest at the from the tribe of Levi at the temple, through the blood of animals at the temple once a year, and also the Levitical priests would offer up daily sacrifices in order to draw near to God. We're not worthy, Lord. We break your commandments every day. Stop. So you got this false humility of the Levitical priests attempting to draw near to God through animal blood daily. And then you got the Hebrew people attempting to perfect themselves through animal blood. Because when they broke the commandment and the law, 
they were no longer perfect. They had to repeat, 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 repeat. Jesus comes along and boom, offers up his blood one time. By one offering, Hebrews 10 says, he has made you perfect. You have to deal with your perfection. Your body's perfect. You may not think it's perfect, but it's perfect. Nothing wrong with your body. Your spirit's perfect. Your soul's perfect. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, All three parts of you are blameless. I even struggled with that for a while. Okay, my spirit and my soul is, is, is perfect, but not my body. I do bad stuff. And then we're right back to Gnosticism. We're right back to what the Hebrew people were struggling with. Doing something. Doing something about your sins. But the reality is, this body's perfect. This body is God's most magnificent creation. He created this planet, this oxygen, this big old bright ball behind me giving me warmth and light at just the right distance to where I don't burn up. He gives me the ability to say something through this device and you can hear it and then your spirit can consume it because you are a physical body. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 3.16, 1 Corinthians 6.19. It doesn't say your body is nasty or sinful. It doesn't say your body is a temple of a demon. It's a temple of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> You're perfect. Now, you got your perfect identity right. So let's get that all out of there. And how did you become perfect? The blood of Jesus. Now, from your perfection, live, grow, mature. You're not being made perfect. That is an erroneous translation. The translation that says those who are being made perfect... The original Greek text does not say being. It ain't there. <laughs> but you know, I've had some people over the years who just stand on the, oh no, you're being made perfect. Are you? What are you doing? Even they couldn't perfect themselves. So what are you doing? So if you want to leave that being in there, that would be referring to somebody who is believing in the future. You don't do anything to be made perfect. You can only become perfect by the blood of Jesus. He is not pouring his blood out again and again and again. Like the animal blood, you have been made perfect once and for all time by his offering. What offering? He will not offer his blood again. It's finished. Deal with your perfection. Deal with your conscience being cleansed of your sins. Deal with the fact that you have the very righteousness of God and you want to express everything that has to do with Christ. You want to express the fruit of the Spirit. Why? Because that is who you are. If you are not doing this, Peter says, you will be unproductive and ineffective. <laughs> it doesn't mean you lose your salvation. It doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you. It means you have forgotten your cleansing. You have forgotten what this blood has done to you. You are focused on what Cain is focused on. You're focused on what the he unbelieving Hebrew people are focused on. You're not focused on what the blood of Jesus has done to you, which has made you perfect. We have a perfect priest who offered perfect blood. The priest from the tribe of Levi had to offer blood for his own sins before he could even do it for the people. So what makes you think that you can do something about your sins? <laughs> you can't. You're forgiven. You're perfect. 
deal with it and mature. When you, when you understand this, you can move past a period in your life where you're like, this is not for me. I don't like this. And you can move past it with no condemnation because you know you're not condemned because you know Christ was already condemned and you're in Christ. He paid the penalty through his blood. It just triggers the crap out of me when I see somebody preaching on stage and says, I'm not perfect. You are. Or you're not, if you've never trusted in him. But they use this false humility BS. And they think that the false humility is somehow making them look better to a congregation. And it's not even your congregation. You don't have a congregation. You're a branch. You're a body part. We see none of that in scripture. Pastors don't have congregations. That's passed down tradition of men. Also, you're not just perfect, you're complete. So often you hear, I'm just broken. God's breaking me, I'm broken. You're not. You might have broken thinking. You might have broken actions and attitudes, but you are complete. That's what scripture tells us, Colossians 2, 9 and 10. You have been made complete. You're complete. You're not broken. <laughs> Why? Because your old self died. Romans 6, Colossians 2, Galatians 2. Dead, crucified, buried. This is not weekend at Bernie's. You're not dragging around a broken corpse. You're not dragging around a broken whoever. I'm not dragging around a broken Matthew. You are complete. How? Colossians 2, 15. The blood. Christ has made you perfect. Christ has made you complete. There's nothing wrong with you. <laughs> you might express wrong things but that's not who you are that is why you should express your righteousness if you were a sinner you should be sinning so why should somebody call you a nasty sinner and then tell you not to sin well i should be sinning but if you're righteous <laughs> if you're holy if you're blameless if you're complete you should be expressing that Paul never addresses anybody who has trusted in Jesus as a sinner in Scripture. He addresses all of his letters to the saints. When he called himself the chief of sinners, when he wrote to Timothy, he was describing his past life as a devout Pharisee. A good friend of mine, Mike Adams, he has a podcast called The Unsunday Show and another podcast with his wife Susan the Grace Cafe he told a story one time about his Twitter handle used to be the chief of sinners once he understood the context of what Paul was actually talking about and the new covenant he got rid of that handle because he's not the chief of sinners he is a co-heir with Christ he is currently seated in heavenly places because he is in Christ and Christ is in heaven. He is blessed with every spiritual blessing. Speak the truth about who you are if you're struggling with any particular sin pattern. That grace will teach you how to mature out of it. If you say the opposite about who you are, 
that is just going to allow the enemy to accuse you even more. You're going to be stuck in that pattern for longer. And eventually you're just going to say, just who I am. One more stick in the pile. I did it again. I looked at it again. I went to the place. I said, one more stick. Just, I'm just a sinner. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. No, you're not. You were a sinner. <laughs> now you're a saint. You're perfect because of the blood of Jesus. You're complete because of the blood of Jesus. Those are the, those are the facts about you. Oh, so. All right, guys. So I hope you have enjoyed this two-part series, 10 Facts About the Blood of Jesus. If you're just now jumping in here, be sure to watch part one. It is on my podcast and on my YouTube channel. So you should always tell the truth about yourself. What's the truth? You're righteous, you're holy, you're blameless, you're a new creation, you're a child of God, there's nothing wrong with you, and you are awesome. I love you guys too. Always tell the truth about yourself, always be yourself. Bye. Thanks so much for joining me on this Walk Talk. Please be sure to rate and review this podcast and share it with others. Subscribe right now so you don't miss out on any new content. To be encouraged daily, you can find me on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook. If you want even more information on my ministry or to check out my books, go to www.mattmcmillan.com.